The Big Ideas TXST podcast is brought to you by Next Is Now. For more information, visit www.txstate.edu. Hello and welcome to Big Ideas, a podcast from Texas State University. I'm your host, Dan Seed, from the School of Journalism and Mass Communication. We're two years past the first COVID-19 cases in the United States. And of course, we can remember back to the spring of 2020 when companies instituted work from home schedules and many instituted more robust sick policies. But as vaccines became available last year, those policies in a lot of cases have been rolled back. In this month's episode, we're joined by Dr. Elizabeth Eager, an assistant professor in the Department of Communication Studies. Her research examines how we understand ourselves in relationship to work, how communication of difference impacts our organizational and life experiences, and how collectives create organizational identities and how work impacts our life and health. Dr. Eager, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted. Before we begin and get into your research here, what what drew you to this line of work, this study to be able to understand, you know, in your research as a whole, you know, how workplaces function, how people function within them and how they communicate within the workplace? Yeah, thank you for this question. I think what really drew me to this work is my family. So as a daughter and granddaughter of incredibly hard workers who modeled taking care of others and working extensively for your job and not taking sick days or time off. This was something I saw growing up and also heard stories about from my grandparents. So my grandfather often worked two or three jobs to support the family in the refineries in Southeast Texas. And my other grandparents similarly similarly worked very rigorously as a carpenter and as full-time caregivers. And then as a child, I saw my parents as baby boomers working so much to care for others. My dad was a family physician who immigrated to the United States to be a doctor and give his all to his patients and work very early hours and very late hours. And my mom worked as a plaintiff paralegal and a legal manager supporting asbestosis trials for working class people who were being very sick and killed because of their exposure to asbestos that their employers knew about, and including my great uncle who died from his exposure to asbestos working in the refineries. And also my stepdad worked in city government and was always giving his extensive work just to supporting local needs and making changes in policy. So as a child, I grew up stuffing envelopes for legal mailers, doing homework in exam rooms in the emergency room, and just generally watching my parents dedicate themselves to their work and their focus on caring for others and focus on justice. And so this hard work really stuck with me in a positive way, but also in a way to sort of understand how did work become such this huge commitment that shaped uh, others, like their health and their their lives. So I was very interested in the ways that organizations and what we do for work becomes this big part of our identity. And the piece on justice for me really came both in my upbringing and then also in my studies to understand difference and whose identities impact their access to work and their organizational efforts for inclusion. 
So your current research is one of the things that you talked about. You saw your parents working hard, working, you know, not constantly, but a lot. And, and when they're sick, right, and showing up to work, dedicating themselves to that. And your current research focuses on this idea known as presenteeism. I'll let you explain what presenteeism is, but I know I've done it. I'm positive that you've done it. And most of our audience has at some point in their career. So give us some insight into what presenteeism is. Yes, you're right. I have done it. And I'm sure most of our listeners have too. So this is working while sick and or with a health condition. So it could be a chronic illness or health condition that frequently makes you have to work when you aren't feeling your best. Or it can something could be something more acute, such as a cold or flu or COVID-19. So something where we may have a contagious illness and are navigating if we should stay home or not as we're facing a specific illness. And what's interesting about this project is my own presenteeism at, when I was a graduate student first brought me to it. I was in a graduate doctoral rhetorical criticism course, and we had to come up with our topics for the semester paper, and I had a horrible flu. I started the semester with a terrible flu and was trying to decide what was I going to write this paper on, and I actually had a very bad cough and opened up a bag of Hall's cough drop wrappers, and on the cough drop wrappers, they have different messages like, you can do it and you know it, tough is your middle name, get out there and get back to work. And so as a graduate student, I thought this is odd that a health organization that's supposed to be focused on our wellness is encouraging us to get back to work while sick and started looking at the overall rhetoric of Hall's organizational and health communication, including some media advertisements that they had at the time for this. And they still today, have the same messages on their cough drop wrappers. They no longer show the commercials where working class people are being belittled essentially to go back to work, but now they still have all of these messages to go for it and dust yourself up and get back to work while sick. And so I was very interested in that rhetorically when I was a graduate student, but as a assistant professor here at Texas State, I wanted to revisit these questions and really understand it from a holistic perspective of what is it that's making us engage in practices of presenteeism. And I wanted to look at differences across occupations, as well as our intersectional identities. So how our race and gender and social class and disability might impact our decisions. And so I was interested in some research questions about how workers communicate about presenteeism, their organizational, occupational, and work-life norms, and then also, again, how this tied to their identities and even things like their access to paid time off. And the way I was able to expand this research is Texas State awarded me a research enhancement program grant as a PI to begin to conduct data and gather stories and gather experiences, which I'm happy to talk more about. And for those of you that are listening that may not be familiar, PI, not private investigator, primary investigator, correct? So, so we're not talking Magnum PI here. We're talking somebody that's leading a study. We'll get into all of that because it's all very fascinating. And I have questions about those areas that you've talked about, intersection of race and class and types of jobs and you know who's more likely to do this and who's not and the pressures people face. But let's talk about that research. It's kind of interesting because you began it before, I, I suppose, fortuitously, before the pandemic, 
right before in the fall of 2019, and then you were able to continue it last spring. So give us kind of the bird's eye view of how you conducted this. First of all, who'd you talk to? And then, you know, we can get into what you found. Great. Yeah. And so, as you mentioned, the, these questions about presenteeism and working while sick have been on my mind for, for many years and is something that I began the project before the COVID-19 pandemic. So I worked with who at the time was a master's student and now is an alumna of our master's program, Tori Miller, to recruit nationally in our first phase of the research in fall 2019 and into uh, early spring 2020 pre-pandemic, 129 people across different regions, occupations, and folks that would have like white collar occupations like professors or doctors or engineers and people that were in blue collar occupations like in retail and working as things like a massage therapist. We had folks that were servers. We really had different occupations and administrative assistants, trainers, call center employees, retail workers. We really wanted to get people from all different occupations to understand these different norms that were happening in different occupations. Because so often research is just looking at white collar affluent workplaces and not looking at other folks' experiences. So Tori and I worked extensively and it took us a lot of time to recruit folks because we had them do a 40 minute questionnaire. So it took a lot of time to share this information. We were able through Texas State to offer them some support through a gift card for their time, but be able to kind of talk about these experiences and really ask broader questions because this is a phenomenon that hasn't been explored from a communication lens. And so we did that in the fall uh, 2019 and summer 2020. And then as the pandemic began, I realized this continues to be an important question that I want to know more about and wanted to involve more people in the conversation. And so in spring 2021, we also invited 100 new people to take our questionnaire and share their experiences. The questionnaire was the same, except we asked them some questions about frequency, and I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that. So how were they more or less likely to work while sick because of the pandemic. But then both Tori and myself and our my third graduate student, Michael Tamarisi, who's an alum of our program and is now a doctoral student at the University of Minnesota, we then did interviews with people. So we conducted a total of 40 interviews and were able to have prolonged conversations with people from both phase one and phase two. And so that meant that everyone, even who had filled out the questionnaire earlier on, they were able to talk with us about their current presenteeism experiences during the pandemic. Very interesting. So let's talk about that, and then we can get a little deeper into some of the key findings. But but what did you hear from people, especially those folks that you interviewed pre-pandemic and post, about attitudes towards presenteeism, what their employers were doing, and how it's affected them, or how maybe their mentalities changed? Before COVID-19, in our interviews, what we were seeing is that workers shared experiences of feeling forced to work while sick with no paid time off and very strict call-out policies. So, for instance, if their organization penalized them for calling out sick, 
And if they had maybe a chronic health issue that required them to call out sick more often, or just had been exposed to a longer illness that required them to not show up for their scheduled hourly shifts, they were penalized or sometimes even feared being fired for not taking that. And so there was a very different, and this is something I wanted to understand, what was going on with different occupations where some people had paid time off and they weren't taking it. And now that was very different from people that were working class and working multiple jobs and didn't even have any access to paid time off. And so for the folks that did have paid time off, they were often what they described as saving sick time for either their own future illnesses. So my older participants shared being worried about a future illness coming down the road, being older and aging in the workplace. Other people talked about saving it for childcare. So being able to save their sick time if their kiddos got sick. And then other people described something that I had not anticipated, which is the way that paid time off or PTO policies would cluster their sick time and their vacation time. And so what happened with that was that they wouldn't want to take a sick day if they had a cold or a migraine, because instead they could actually save that for vacation later in the year. And then other people described going to work while sick because they didn't want to let down their organizations. They really identified with their organization and they also didn't want to let down their coworkers or their employees or their employers and get behind on a major task. And the last thing I'll say about kind of pre-pandemic is that this just is because of the norm in our country that we do work while sick. It's an expectation that we put the organization's interest in our work tasks above our own health and even our collective health. I can think of times when people would come to the university sick and even our students and saying, I'm really sick. I feel like I may have strep throat. And, and I would say, no, please go home. But it's such a common thing of just, oh, you look, you look like you don't feel well. Yeah, I'm really sick, but I'm here. I'm here to help. Is, and this question just kind of popped in my head because I feel like we all have similar stories that we can share again, where we've done this, but we know people that do this and and do it religiously where they just work through being sick and accrue that sick time. And then oftentimes don't end up using it. Is this something that is kind of a uniquely American phenomenon, or is this something that we see across the world? Because to me, it feels very American in that regard. Yeah, I think that our work practices and our organizational norms and expectations in the United States are very influenced by conditions of capitalism and putting the organizational interest above others. They're also influenced by just our expectations that we can kind of take care of ourselves and make our own decision making. Some people talk about this as like rugged individualism rhetoric and this idea that, you know, I'm going to do what's best for my health and I need to be here because I want to get this project off my plate. So I think we're influenced by those larger norms. And in particular, because our country, we, we get so much of our identity through what we do for work. And that's so much a part of how we understand who we are. It becomes a big norm that we don't want to, as I said, let down our coworkers, our, our students, our employers. And we want to be sure that we're performing well at work. 
and just in general in the United States, our, our perspectives on work are much more exhaustive than some other countries. We work very long hours, what Joan Williams calls as ideal workers. So we are willing to give a 24 seven commitment to our employers. And this is something I actually teach about in my graduate seminar, Work Identity and Difference at Texas State, where students look at how work shapes our identity and also our accessibility to certain jobs. And so I've had students do projects on things like the four hour work week in other countries or 30 hour work weeks or just other kind of better practices for work life wellness than what we often see in, in our country. And I'm curious too, because with that shift to online work that everybody's gone through, including us here at the university, I'm wondering if you found anything or, or can speak to this on this idea of presenteeism through online, that now it's almost easier, right? You roll out of bed, you sit in front of a computer, you do your work, you can gut it through versus let me hop in the car, commute, go to the office, be around people. Is presenteeism something that, that we still see with online work and even maybe even more so? Yeah, you have a great impulse there, Dan, because it, it is definitely something our participants talked about with often having more frequency to engage presenteeism and working online. So my former student, Tori Miller, that I mentioned before, as well as my colleague, Dr. Kristen Ferris in the Department of Communication Studies, we're looking at some of my research in the questionnaires in particular and looking at those folks that completed it in 2021 and their kind of discussions of frequency. And one of the things that people discussed there for increasing frequency was because of this new quote unquote flexibility to work while sick, they were actually increasing their presenteeism. So one participant described it as no good reason to call out. And then in one of my interviews with actually the phase one people, um, he was describing now during the pandemic, Joe F, who was a white man in pharmaceuticals, he talked about how you could hide your sickness over Zoom and you could just go on mute. So it was this thing that enabled people to actually, some described it, I can work better while sick from home in my pajamas. So those are some really concerning trends because people are not taking the time to heal and take care of themselves and still either themselves expecting themselves to be present or their employer saying, well, you can just be on mute or you can just kind of do that from home and still be on this call. One positive thing I do want to say, though, about the working from home flexibility that my participants and in interviews shared is how much of a benefit it was for people with chronic health conditions and or disabilities. So to be able to create more of your own schedule and if you were having a chronic pain day, being able to stay home and take care of yourself and kind of flex in your work throughout the day was really life-changing and actually empowered people to be able to be in the workforce in ways they hadn't recently. Very interesting. We're, we're joined by Dr. Elizabeth Eager, from the Department of Communication Studies here at Texas State talking about presenteeism, showing up to work while you're sick and working. Clearly something that, again, we've all done, but something that can, as you mentioned, maybe lead to burnout or physical issues down, down the line. Let's get back to the research here. And you, you touched on this, that this is a cross-section of people, white collar, blue collar, cross races, gender, ages, locations. 
what are some of the key findings that you guys found in terms of attitudes about presenteeism when you cross those lines from white collar to blue collar, across racial lines, gender, even, you know, where people live or, or how much money they make? Yeah, and I think this goes back to the concerns about our structural support in our organizations and our occupations. So my participants who were in working class occupations or who did not have access to paid time off, this was a really big difference in terms of the expectations that they had. So in some of both our questionnaires and interviews, we had people sharing that they had the same amount of presenteeism because they had insufficient policies and support in their organizations and they had to work two to three jobs to foot, uh, put food on the table to make rent. As an example, June, who was a non-binary person in hospital technician, shared that their experience of who get paid, who gets paid time off and presenteeism wasn't a choice in the hospital environment had a lot to do with social class. And they described that as this stratification of being able to access paid time off as a technician versus as a doctor was very different. But obviously in our hospital environments, we want people who are sick to be staying home. And in fact, this, this concept of presenteeism comes from nursing research where they were seeing these problems happen in a hospital setting. So that's sort of one example that I saw also, I think another important piece of this is that when people are experiencing the impacts of the pandemic in a daily basis as essential workers and how much that was shaping them showing up to work, and then we think about that on top of compounding issues that workers are already facing like racism in their workplace as people of color, transphobia, ableism. So those sorts of expectations on top of the expectations of presenteeism and how difficult and overbearing that becomes to be experiencing systemic injustice and also these norms that you have to work while sick. So I'll share one example of this that I think really illustrates your question, Dan, which is from Janice, one of my interview participants who was a black lesbian woman in her 20s with a bachelor's degree. And so Janice worked two jobs to survive and lived in the DC area. And she both worked in a grocery store and as a health research assistant. And so she shared her really positive experiences in the grocery store when she contacted COVID-19, where they had created specific policies during the pandemic that anyone exposed to COVID or who tested positive received two weeks of paid time off. So it was incredibly supportive. In contrast, her health education job, ironically, did not have paid sick time off after the end of the year. And so when she contracted COVID, was right in between a calendar year. And so they encouraged her to be back to work while sick on Zoom and was really not able to take time off. And she shared a former pre-pandemic experience just like this in that organization where she said, as a black young queer woman, I had a full-blown panic attack and felt like I had to work while sick and walked into my boss's office and told her I wasn't feeling well and I needed to go home. Janice felt pressured to do an all-day training because she was the only Black employee in the organization and didn't want to be perceived as weak. In contrast, in the organization at the grocery store, she said, 
that she was supported by other black people, people of color and queer young women where they really communicated about health. And she said, you know, a lot of us we're just trying to live and survive. So it's kind of more like holding each other up rather than me being seen as weaker. Very interesting. It's interesting to see the burden that some folks carry with them into the workplace in order to feel like they're pulling their weight or to appear that way to their colleagues to avoid any sort of backlash or, or office gossip about, well, they don't do the work and I'm here and all that. And I think that a lot of us have, have seen that firsthand in the workplace. You know, when we look at what we're talking about here, are companies in the American workforce at a tipping point, past a tipping point in terms of getting to a, a place where being sick is okay? Or have we passed this like this realm where, you know, sick is okay, but you got to be here? Like, what's kind of what's down the line? Like, what do we need to do, or in your expert opinion? in order to, to support workers and keep them healthy because without workers, the economy stops. I think that employers and organizational leaders are in a space where they need to be encouraging conversations about presenteeism and shifting the norms in their organizations to create space where people that even have paid sick leave feel empowered to take that off. In some of my research with the National Center for Women and in Information Technology, we looked at work-life policies and the ways that many people would not take paid time off because they felt like managers were ultimately not really supporting that. And so what we suggested in that research was that actually as a manager embodying taking time off, taking wellness days, uh, picking your kid up for school, having that flexibility yourself would encourage other employees to have that. So that's in the space where the policies exist, but people aren't using them. There's a really famous communication studies article by Kirby and Crone that looks at that exact issue, why people don't use these work-life wellness policies. But that's a very different thing from what you were saying when people don't have access to this and are feeling burned out in their organizations. And so what I think that we need to do is create not only this kind of paid sick leave that organizations are doing, but actually really continue this conversation on national paid sick leave. It's something that our, that our country could support and should be supporting so that people have that paid time off and that they're not getting burned out because there is a lot of conversation around the quote unquote great resignation right now, exactly. but it is, it's this kind of putting it on the workers instead of looking at how this is workers saying, I am not okay with these working conditions. I, this is no longer sustainable for me. And I'm curious because I was going to ask about the great resignation and whether or not this factors in, is it a generational thing? Is, is it a generation that, that you know, you and I are a part of, people younger that are, that are waking up to this and saying, we want change? Why is this happening now? Is it the combination of the pandemic and just a different ethos? Or what, what do you think the reason for that is? I do think that there are some generational changes. Like when I look at the work ethics of the baby boomers, like my parents, and this expectation of working hard, where that was a place where you actually could have an opportunity to maybe if you hadn't had access to owning a home or just having different resources that that all of a sudden could be more available to some people, again, some people, right, because of structures of exclusion. 
But what we're seeing is that that's no longer the case for millennials and for Gen Z and the, the resources of ex exhaustive work is not sometimes even putting food on the table, allowing people to make their rent and dealing with things like student loan debt. And so I'm very encouraged when I look at our students, fellow millennials like myself and Gen Z that are challenging these norms that work is our life and that's who we are and what we do and very hopeful how they are valuing life and health. And I'm hopeful that they'll push us towards healthier policies. When I think about, as you mentioned, the great resignation, what I think we're seeing is a collective resistance to saying these norms are not working for us and we are not able to continue these conditions and of not being paid enough, of not having services and resources and time off and the things that we need. And then to your question about the pandemic, absolutely, this is impacting it because workers are being taken out of the workforce to care for their children or their sick relatives, especially women because of the gender division of labor. And I think we also need to think about how many people like essential workers in the medical field and grocery stores and food service people are experiencing these incredible unsustainable stresses that they simply just cannot continue to show up and put their lives at risk when other people that they're trying to serve aren't caring about their health. And also, I think rather than, again, framing this as people who don't want to work, we need to consider these working conditions, as well as people are getting sick. They have to take care of themselves, others, and some are dying. That's part of the reason as well. So now, right, we're in the teeth of the Omicron variant of COVID-19. How do you take, you know, what you've learned from this study and apply it to this variant where now we have vaccines, it's less severe if you're vaccinated? How does this all apply as we move forward in the pandemic? Yeah, so with this new variant, we are seeing not only the challenges of fatigue for living through a global pandemic for over two years that is starting to affect people's willingness to want to do things like mask and really want to go back to normal in their lives and in their workplace, but we're also seeing systemic challenges like a lack of PCR testing and rapid testing and organizations really pushing employees to come back to work while sick, in part because they have shortages, in part because they know their employees may be vaccinated. And so they're really pushing for a faster return. And this has been emboldened by the CDC shortening the periods of isolation if you test positive or are quarantined. And so what is happening with that is these new CDC guidelines suggest moving forward to return to work once you're fever free after five days and then wearing a mask for five more days. And this doesn't create time for people even with a quote unquote mild case of COVID, which can feel still very much like a, a long illness to have that time for healing and time to recover. They also use language about minimizing risk, but it's not con considering how this risk can really vary for different people. If a person is immunocompromised, if a person has immunocompromised people in their family that have pre-existing health conditions, coming back to work or being exposed to people that may be sick becomes really dangerous. And I would encourage listeners to look at the hashtag 
my disabled life is worthy on Twitter to look at some conversations around this in particular for people with disabilities and or health conditions. So I think what we need to do in this current wave is we need to get vaccinated and boosted if we're not already um, and encouraging other folks to get vaccinated and boosted because we know that vaccination can reduce the severity of this new variant. Also, I think we're seeing in the medical research, the new N95 and N94 masks becoming more important. And from a communication standpoint, we need to talk about presenteeism. Sometimes having the language for it enables us to see it, hey, I'm doing this and this is not something that is healthy and it is not something that's good for me or as it will say in a lot of research, the organization's bottom line. So all of that to kind of begin to have conversations about it in our workplace. And then I've mentioned this already, but national paid sick leave is a big thing to help this change become implemented structurally. Good conversations to have, conversations that, in my opinion, we should have been having all along, but the pandemic has forced us into that and talking with each other, talking with our companies and managers talking about it, always certainly a good thing. Dr. Elizabeth Eager, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening. We hope you download our next episode for next month. And until then, stay well, stay informed, and thanks for listening. Big Ideas TXST is a presentation of Texas State University and the Division of University Advancement. Subscribe to experience more innovative, thought-provoking content. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a starred review, five if possible. The views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily represent those of the university. Big Ideas is hosted by Daniel Seed, produced by Jamie Bloschke. Strategic consultant is Kelly Raz. 